Welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hello. Uh, so today's topic is mental and conceptual models. Yeah, and just a little light, a little light yeah, conversation. This is uh, we we always we generally say that this is um, the most difficult topic. In like, our entire it, field, uh, that for for people to kind of understand and comprehend. Well, okay, we do, well, we do. Although we'll we'll kind of ease into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it it's just it is literally conceptual. So well, it's yes. a lot. You no, know, but seriously, it it it's just it's very uh, you know front brain conceptual. A lot to think. Theoretical about. abstract. It literally, I mean, the whole, yeah, it's literally about abstraction. So it, it's not as concrete as, you know, some of the other. Although, although we're doing a series, and in this first one of the series, I'm going to kind of introduce it. So we'll, we'll ease people into it, Guthrie. But you're right. You're right. Out of all the topics we talk about, this is sometimes the most thought. So... Um, I want to say a couple small things before we start, because I, I did actually have something, um, something more light that I wanted to share with you. Oh, okay. And we'll see, maybe you can tie it in. Maybe you can't, okay, but I just, thought, I just thought, I just thought, Hey, we'll start with something fun. All right. And then we'll, we'll, I like we'll fun. get to it. Uh, just today, I was reading an article, uh, an Ars Technica article, and it's about this guy, uh, and uh, Mr. Edwards. He's a he's a writer there, and he purchased a 2023 edition because they still 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 sell them of a World Book Encyclopedia. Oh my God. And they they keep updating that, so it's they, they still they, publish it. Yeah, twenty twenty three. So it has new the new Supreme Court justice and oh all everything. Oh my god! So does um, do we need to say what the World Book Encyclopedia is? Sure, uh, I can. I have some information for you. This actually, I can tie this into our topic. For I I, I thought you could. I thought you could. Yeah. So um, so based in Chicago, World Book Incorporated published an encyclopedia in nineteen seventeen the year of the Chicago, when I believe it was the Chicago World's Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, the, con- the company is a subsidiary of uh, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, somehow. I didn't and know uh, after in the Encyclopedia Britannica ended its print run in 2012, after 244 years publishing Encyclopedia, it is now, I believe, the only uh, American or European, or I guess maybe it will, English English uh, written, uh, uh, written encyclopedia in the world, um, and uh, asked why they're still in business. They basically say, "Well, we'll long as there's a market, we'll keep printing it." So, do we need to talk about what a, an encyclopedia is? Sure, if you would Do, like I to. mean, are there people listening that might not even know what the heck we mean by that? Sure. So, um, we can't assume we can't assume that anymore. Right. 
Right. So an encyclopedia is uh, typically an entire set of books, uh, hard copy books. And uh, they are in, uh, they are, there might be like 26 yeah, volumes or maybe not quite that many, but it is alphabetical. So you have volume one is going to be A, volume two is going to be B. Uh, and these are all topics. So if, if you wanted to look up the topic of, um, uh, sharks, sharks, you would go to the the S's book and look that up and it would be alphabetical and you'd find sharks. And then there would be, uh, uh, an article of, you know, a couple pages long. It depends on the topic, how long the article is, but it's going to be like an article. It's going to be text and pictures about sharks, what sharks are, what we know about sharks, different types of sharks. And so every topic one could think about, including, for instance, you could look up uh, in the eyes, in the, in the volume that it contains I, you could look up Indonesia and it would tell you everything that they could about Indonesia. Yeah. In other words, it's the internet in a book. No, well, I mean, look, uh, the internet was always modeled after other, you know, other things that currently existed. So, and so so the encyclopedia yeah. was, the whole idea is it's the compendium of, of human all knowledge. knowledge, human knowledge, much in the same way that uh, a dictionary would be the compendium of all the words that we know. Encyclopedia is that of all the knowledge. And quite an audacious thing from Apple to in the Peloponnesian Wars to, you know, whatever. Zebras, um, yeah. A-Z. Yeah, uh, it is uh, uh, just a couple more things about it. Um, 14,000 pages, 22 volumes, 25,000 photographs. It costs $1,200 retail, which really for 22 books is shockingly not that bad. Not that bad. Um, these are nice books. These are nice books. Nicely bound. Well, they covered. they used to be nice. I don't know what they're like anymore. But. I bet they're still pretty good. So here's here's why he bought it, and this is why it's really interesting. Uh, and uh, you you'll can get you can do your segue later, but um, so he's 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 what he said. So so he's an AI reporter for Ars Technica, and he often writes about generative AI tools that can that could potentially pollute our online spaces and our historical records with very convincing fake information. Some people think these tools may destabilize society. At best, they may merely decrease the signal-to-noise ratio of online information. Years ago, The Guardian and BuzzFeed caused this presumed coming age where true and false information are almost impossible to distinguish, the information apocalypse. Never one to shy away from the chance to coin a term, I've called it the cultural singularity. Although I've warned about AI-generated misinformation on Ars Technica as well, I'm still optimistic that people who are cognizant of these issues can get through the coming decade with factually electronic knowledge at hand. But just in case I'm wrong, a little voice in the back of my head reasoned that it would be nice to have a good summary of human knowledge in print, vetted by professionals, and fixed in a form where it can't be tampered with after the fact by humans, AI, or mere link rot. It, That's you know, to I, I want to go What a fascinating idea. I want to go buy a set right now. <laughs> I, I, uh, I think that is a great idea. It's like... Um, <laughs> It's like before we destroy all the species on the planet, let's collect one of everything and put it in a capsule and keep it safe. Um, I grew up, so encyclopedias initially uh, were in libraries, and they still are. 
However, uh, some at some point, and I don't know when this was, I'm going to guess in the 1940s or 1950s, it became a thing to uh, buy a set for your house. Now, not everyone could, it wasn't $1,200 back then, but it was not cheap and not everyone could afford it. So the sign of a, not a wealthy person, but of a, of a middle-class person doing quite well was they would have a, a set, an encyclopedia um, in their home. And, you know, this meant that you were doing pretty well financially and it meant that you had a commitment to your children's learning and all of that. And when I was growing up, when I was probably about 10 years old, we started having a set of the encyclopedia. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, and they would go, there were salespeople that would go door to door selling these. Uh, and of course, they would try and get you to buy the latest version if you had one already. So sure. that was, the, you know, do I update? To the Things keep site? changing. Anyway, that was, uh, that's interesting. And, and um, thank you for sharing that, Guthrie. Is there anything else you want to say about that? Uh, for those who, I don't know, get inspired, apparently you might be able to get uh, the like the 2022, um, you know, at, at maybe as a somewhat. Yeah, I'm uh, sure you could. Reduced, reduced rate discount. there. I, I seriously want to go buy one. I, yeah. I, I, I'm really serious about it. Anyway. Um, all oh, right. Uh, just, yes. just uh, two more things. Yes. They, the world book is pro is generally considered the, the little brother to the encyclopedia Britannica. So yes, it's, it's, it's good. It's fine. It's very colorful. It's an easy read. Maybe not as thorough as the Encyclopedia the, Britannica the, was. Having grown up with both of these, okay, I can tell you there was a distinction. There was a brand. And the branding thing was that the uh, the the world book was the user-friendly, <laughs> easier-to-read version. If you were a serious scholar, you would have the Encyclopedia Britannica but it wasn't as good for children because it was harder to read. They were both quite good. I think at one point we had both in our house. So so this is a good, thank you for bringing up this topic because it actually I can use it. Because... Oh, one last thing. <laughs> what? Sorry. <laughs> if you want the 2022 yeah. on Amazon, yeah. you can get it for 700 bucks. Oh, that's a, quite a discount. So... So really, uh, now I'm going to have to decide which one I want to buy. Okay, do continue. Okay, so I want to talk today. I want to introduce the topic of um, mental and conceptual models. Dun, dun, dun. And I think this is appropriate. This I can connect what you just said to this because we could talk about the mental models that people have about stuff for instance about information so i think if you are a younger person like under the age of 20 at least maybe even younger you probably have a mental model of uh, if i need information about something you know where do you go uh, to get information, you probably go online. Uh, you probably don't go visit a library. You probably don't 
look on your bookshelf for the encyclopedia, right? What do you think is the age cutoff for that, Guthrie? For what? Well, there, I guess everybody goes online now. What's the age cutoff for the people that used to go either to the library or to the encyclopedia on their bookshelf and now would do it online, but in the past had direct experience of getting information not online? Like, do um, you have I that only, memory? Yes, but but it was, as a kid, it was sort of forced upon me, you know, go, go, uh, go research something and use the encyclopedias, you know, to, to help people sort of do the but, stuff. But did I, the so, internet exist during that time? It's just that people were forcing you to do it offline? Yes. Uh, when I was okay. growing up, um, but I would say maybe when before I was 15, 14, 13, maybe. Yeah. Uh, certainly pretty encyclopedia heavy. Driven. Driven. Um, everyone had a... At, at school, my school is not particularly nice, so it's not like we had brand new computers all the time. And yeah. so there were computers, um, yeah. but they probably weren't. They probably were IBM's. They were probably not connected to the internet. Yeah. There was in the library one or two. You know, I remember okay. using the library okay. uh, Microsoft three point one. Okay. I remember using at the library Microsoft ninety five, ninety eight, um, and so eventually, uh, I remember using the. Encyclopedia Britannica online for I think oh, Windows gosh. 2000 That's and funny. the whole encyclopedia came on a disc or maybe yeah, a couple discs. That was a big yeah. deal. Um, but but generally the the view was hey uh, online is great but we actually don't accept online because yeah. you can't verify the source so if you're doing a book report okay. you couldn't cite to it okay. um, for most of my I don't middle school book reports or whatever. But I do have lots of memories perusing the world book looking at the pictures yeah um, but i am uh a a complete insane person who enjoys just like reading an encyclopedia or just you know yeah. perusing wikipedia forever so yeah i'm i'm definitely <laughs> maybe the exception i i think if i was bored i would probably just read an encyclopedia just for fun uh, but that was i mean pre-high school i think once i hit high school i i don't think i think it was all yeah internet, so, so you you had the experience of having a mental model of if i want information i'll go find it in a book or i'll go find it in the library no you don't remember it that way you remember that your mental model is what if the, you want the, information what did you do i if i wanted inform if i wanted information like, like I said, there were a couple of projects where we were forced to go look up yeah, something. Yeah, okay, in but if you weren't forced, I mostly looked in the encyclopedia. My recollection is sort of for fun. Like I was just bored. Okay, and so I was just flipping through pages, reading stuff. Okay, so I would say, you, what was your mental model if you needed actually information? It was to probably well, at a certain point, it was to look online. When would yeah. I? When I was a kid, when did I need, like if you were eight, yeah, what information yeah. do you need? I do think I would just. That you just don't go ask, ask an, an adult. adult, you know, I don't. Okay. Right. All like right. I was like, oh my God, I have to figure out, I need the chemical formula for this. So thing. these are all examples of what I call mental models. Okay. A mental model is the idea you have in your head of how to do something or what something is or how something works. And we all have mental models 
in our head about everything. So, you know, mm. we have mental models of of a process. We have mental. Are you waving your hand? Are you? I'm waving my hand. hand? I yes, didn't want to interrupt you. Uh, I remember what I used it for. What? It. I used the encyclopedia as my jumping off point. Yeah. So what what I would do is if I needed, I was like, ah, okay, I can do a book report on something. What should I do? I would just grab a random volume, like yeah. the R's, and just page through until I saw something interesting. And then I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. Not enough maybe information in the encyclopedia to, you know, b- besides, you, need, but a, you know, number of facts, right? Point. But that was like, oh, I'm going to go do that. Or if I was going to do an, uh, a book report on some sort of dinosaur, I definitely remember the dinosaur section in the world book, very uh, overrepresented from my recollection. They'd have like just a couple sentences on really important stuff and be pages and pages on like the you know, like the, you know, Triassic area or whatever. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so what I would do is I would, I would read the kind of the, the high level version and that would sort of give me a baseline of knowledge and spark some ideas. And then I'd go kind of delve further. So I use the encyclopedia, not necessarily as the final step, but as actually an initial step um, for getting a baseline of information what are some other aspects about this that I hadn't even thought about? What does it tie into? And then I'd kind of go. Well, you know, that brings up an interesting issue too, which is actually not about mental models, but I'll take a short digression. Maybe it's about mental models, which is the whole idea of browsing. Um, I think, I think our modern world has much less browsing than it used to. I think it's possibly why why people like some forms of social media, why people like, for instance, TikTok, because basically you just go on and you're browsing. Uh, so much of our of our. Uh, hold on, I I disagree with that. Why? I don't think you browse. You are you're watching a show. So you're when you swipe, it's show. showing things That's to true. you. That's Whereas true. like browsing is very like, I'm the one walking yeah, and I'm right. looking. You're right. You're right. You're right. But there's the very, algorithms I are doing stuff. I think there's very little browsing in our worlds these days. I mean, you used to, you know, back in the day. Um, storefronts. Storefronts. You used to go browse storefronts. You used it's coming to, back. You used to uh, pick up a magazine and leaf through it. And see if anything grabbed your interest. You used to, uh, you know, maybe maybe we have a little bit of it in like news websites or apps or something. Um, but the the important thing about browsing, yeah, is that, and this is the I think that's maybe the difference a little bit. Yeah, may uh, is that you're seeing not one thing at a time and swiping. Yes. You're seeing many you're things seeing many at a time things, and, and then, then sort of choosing, choosing which is very different than most mm-hmm. algorithmically based content where it's yes. like we're showing you a couple things or even yes. just one thing and then you click on it and now you're So there's digging. much less browsing in the world than there used to be. And I think people, uh, I think what one could argue for the value of browsing. Um, uh Anyway, 
let's talk about mental and conceptual models because when we're talking about design, I mean, I want to, I want to back way up. If we talk about design at a high level and we talk about designing for human behavior, we have to talk about what is the mental model that someone has? What are they expecting? What do they want? What do they need? What do they expect from the experience that you're providing for, for them and the, the experience you're designing? And this is true whether we're talking about what we've just been talking about, like, oh, I don't know, I'm bored and I want to just go look something up, or I need a specific piece of information about something very specific, or I, I'm trying to do a very specific task, like I need to find a doctor in my area to see who can, who, uh, can answer questions about uh, a rash on my skin, so I need a certain kind of doctor. I mean, no matter what you are designing, someone is going to use that thing and they're going to have expectations of it and how it will work and how they should use it and what they can expect. And these expectations that they have uh, exist, whether they've ever interacted with the thing you've designed or never interacted with it, um, whether the expectations are conscious or unconscious, whether the expectations are what you thought they were expecting or not, this there's this whole realm of uh, mental uh, model that people have. And if you ignore that, and if you just design the thing you're designing, software, website, app, physical product, whatever it is you're designing, if you just design it without taking their mental model into account, you are likely going to design something that you, you have a high probability of designing something that is not what they expected, is not what they wanted, doesn't, they can't figure it out, they have a hard time learning it. Uh, this connection between the person's mental model and the actual design of what you create, that connection is critical. If you want to design something that, you know, that people can use or you want to design something that elicits a specific behavior. So when we talk about behavioral design, when we talk about um, the psychology of design, we got to spend time talking about a mental model and a conceptual model and the fit between them. So that's what I wanted to uh, delve into. And we, we're doing a series here. So um, we'll do like an introductory episode here and then we'll have another episode coming up in which we dig into even even more detail so uh, and Guthrie please do feel free to interrupt me I'll try and notice if you're raising your hand but you can even just interrupt me if you have comments or questions or anything else okay so the so the mental model is the model the the consumer, the user, the person using the thing you've designed, 
it's the model they have in their head. The model that the the product itself, the website, the app, the software, the physical product presents a model to the human using it. And that model we call the conceptual model. So we make a distinction between the mental model, which is what the person has, and the conceptual model, which is what the thing itself is presenting. And what we know is that if those two models don't mesh, the person will say that, oh, this thing is hard to learn. This thing is hard to use. This thing, the, the one I love is the, is the phrase, it's not intuitive. It's like, what the heck does that mean? You know, well, essentially it means it didn't work the way I thought it was going to work. That's what intuitive is. It's not what I expected. So you've got to, if, if you're the designer, you've got to understand what the user's mental models are before you design. So, and that's it's not always easy to do. Uh, the interesting thing, and you have to understand what their mental models are, and then you have to make a whole bunch of design decisions based on that. So the reason it gets tricky is that, um, there's lots of reasons why it gets tricky. One is that these mental models that people have they don't all have the, necessarily the same mental model. So my mental model of how, you know, this remote control works might be different, Guthrie, than your mental model of how it's supposed to work. Because we all have different experiences and different exposures to a device like that. Uh, what, where do these mental models come from? Your previous experience. So again, if we're talking about a remote control, what's your previous experience with remote controls? Do you have a lot of experience with them, a little bit? Have you been using the same remote control for your TV for the last, you know, three years? So you're used to that one? Or have you used a whole bunch of remote controls and so you have broader experience? Or, you know, there are people in the world who don't usually use a remote control, so their experience is going to be different. So it comes from our previous experience. It comes from any training we might have had. You know, if you've been trained to use, um, you know, Windows 11-based software, then you've had training on it. You know how it works. Um, so that would affect your mental model. So our experience, our training... Sure what other people say about it. All these things go together to create this mental model. So everybody has a mental model before they even use a product. And again, that question is, does that mental model they have make it hard or easy to use the product that you've designed? Now, in, in my experience, oh, <laughs> still, Still, after all these years and everything we know, I think, I don't know. Oh, okay, Guthrie, I'm going to ask you a question. What percentage mm -hmm. of products 
and by product I mean very broadly, software, app, physical products, what percentage of products are, are designed in the modern day that where someone is purposely designing a conceptual model for that product you know just you know they're they're purposely saying okay what kind of conceptual model should we have for this product what percentage of products do you think are purposely designed in terms of the conceptual model it's like five percent yeah really low that's what that's my guess and even that five percent that are purposely trying to do it they still might be doing a bad job of it but yeah so so the question is if mo- if 95% of the products are not being purposely designed in terms of conceptual model design what are they doing instead like what i mean they all have a conceptual model they are presenting a design model where is it coming from if it's not purposely designed that's a question for you Guthrie. Uh, their own conceptual model, but what they think the product is without doing any research. Okay, so you're saying we have the designers. I mean, they, they wouldn't think of it that way, but but actually, what's going like the on dev is people are, they have their mental model of how it should work, and that's just what they're creating. Yeah, yeah, I bet that's the. I bet that's that. That's a, probably a high percentage. Anything else? Any place else that the model is coming from? Competitors. Okay, that's a good one. So, uh, yeah, we, we're going to design a dashboard. Let's do it like this, right? Okay. Anywhere else? Their own mental model, the competitor's model. Uh, random chance, the the whims of of what, however they're feeling that day. Yeah, I don't know if I'd put that one very high, but okay. Sometimes I the the one I think you've missed is that sometimes the conceptual model of the product ends up being created from the technology decisions that underlie the the product. So, you know, we've got a bunch of oh, features. Oh, the, uh, the features. Features and functionality, and and, and we did... Oh, yeah, that know, drives that, you crazy. It, yeah, it does drive me crazy. It just it incenses her when, when people... I'm talking uh, about it very calmly right now. Very calmly, I, very, very, but very I sort don't of softly feel calm and calmly. Yeah, no, it makes me crazy. I call it uh, the bubble up. So we have some kind of technology, and here's how the technology works. So in case and people have not noticed, the way a computer works and the way technology works is not the same as humans. So when you just take the technology design and bubble it up to the interface, it's usually not a good strategy but a very, an extremely common one still to this day, even though I've spent my career trying to tell people not to do it. They're not listening to me. Yeah, so the, the bubble up of the technology. 
also not a good strategy, but one that one that happens. So the interesting reality I think about the conceptual model design is that you have it's this, it's the piece called the interface. So if we talk about behavioral design, we are talking about how do we design the interface to encourage people to take certain action. And the interface is the part of the product that the human interacts with, sees and interacts with, listens to and interacts with. And it's like a whole, it's a separate thing unto itself. It should be a separate thing unto itself. There's the, all the guts and all the technology underneath it. And somebody needs to design that and someone needs to develop that. And I understand that it's very important. But then there's the surface layer that the human interacts with that needs to be connected to the guts underneath, but is not the same as the guts underneath. And so paying attention to that interface level, and that's how we got to this whole term user interface design, but everybody forgets that. The interface is the part that the human interacts with. So, you know, if I have, um, you know, my cell phone here, holding up my cell phone. Um, this phone is a, is a device. It's a thing. It has all kinds of stuff built into it, chips and things I don't understand at all. And they're all doing their thing to make the magic happen. But as the user, as the human using this, I don't directly interact with any of those things inside. I only interact with the interface. The conceptual model of this product is presented through the interface. It's the interface. That's the only part I interact with. It's the widgets and the icons and the messages and the typing in. That's the part that presents the conceptual model. So, um, Guthrie, have you ever been to Disney World? Uh, yes, I've been to. Um, have you been to Disneyland? I, th I think I've been to both. I've definitely been to both Universals. Um, so I don't know about Universals. I only so, know about about Disney. So. so, at Disney World. Um, when you go there as, as the visitor, you know, you see the rides, you see the buildings, you see the carrot, you know, Goofy is walking around or Sleeping Beauty or Cinderella or whoever, right? You see the surface layer under, literally underneath the pavement, there's an entire world that you never see. So underneath Disney World is where all the cast, they call them cast members, 
all the all the employees, all the cast, all the crew is all underground. And they go in and they go underground and they go to their area and they put on their costume and then they come up and appear on the pavement and then they go back underground. And and as the visitor, you never see what's underground, right? So you are only interacting with this interface level of Disney World. And that's the analogy I use. So my phone, all the inside stuff is the underground of Disney World and the interface is the above ground. So the question is, how much have you designed that interface to match the user's mental model? Um, if you've designed it well so that it's a good match, then it'll be easy to use and easy to learn and meet their expectations. And if you haven't, then it'll be hard to use or hard to learn or both. So the the interesting thing about user research, as a little aside here, is that the main, in my in my view of the world, the main reason to do user research is so that you know what the mental models are of your primary user groups. That's why you do user research, so that you can design to fit that. You don't do user research just because someone told you you're supposed to do it. I mean, that's why you do it, so you can create a conceptual model that matches. So you actually have, Guthrie, um, two options. You can create a conceptual model. You can make decisions about what's on, we'll, we'll assume screen for now, although this is true for voice interfaces as well, um, or haptic interfaces or whatever you're designing. But let's just talk about screens. You can decide what's on the screen, in what order, in what size, in what placement, so that it Matt, that's your conceptual model design so that it matches the user's mental model. Or sometimes you purposely create a conceptual model that doesn't match the user's mental model. And you do it on purpose. And you've heard me give this talk, so now this is quiz question time for Guthrie. Yeah, quiz question time, yeah. Why would you do that? I just said that if you if you don't match the mental model, it's going to be hard to use and hard, hard to learn. So why would you purposely say, I know this is their mental model and this is what they're expecting, but that's not what we're designing? In um, what instance might you do that? I I know the answer. Uh, okay, let's see if he gets it right. Let's I see, do. Guys, I know the answer. Right? When okay, you want to shatter it. Why would you want to shatter it? Because you're doing something completely different. Uh huh. Can you give me an example uh, of a product that successfully, purposely, did not match the user's mental model? No, but it's it's anything that's new. I'm sure you have the the perfectly right example. Of I course, I do. Yeah, I don't know if I know the right example, but yes, anytime 
uh, it's like, Hey, this is a totally different thing. We don't, we don't want people to think of this like a X. We want them to use it completely differently than any other construct that they've seen before. Yeah. And sometimes I'll I'll give you, I will give you an example, but I do want to say sometimes people misuse that idea. It's like, Oh, we want this tax accounting software to be totally new. It's like, no, it's a, it's tax accounting. It's like only, only so many different ways to do tax accounting. Don't, don't divert. The example I like to use the most is which, you know what? You're going to have to help me come up with a different example because generationally this example doesn't work anymore or it does, but it's, hard for people to imagine so you're gonna have to find something software based well i think the perfect example is the iphone i think that still works because when the iphone came out and i'll hold up my android this is this is an not an iphone okay i'm sorry it's no toy but we'll pretend this is an iphone when when the smartphones first came out and the iPhone was the first real serious iteration of it, um, it w- it did not match anyone's mental model. It it wasn't anything like anything because look at this thing. There, you know, you have to think about what were the phones like. What were what were mobile phones like before the iPhone? Do you remember, Gus? Oh, I got it. I got something. What? Um, Maybe this is a newer one. Uh, Electric cars. The mental model of how you drive some electric cars. So uh, there is, um, you might know, you might not know. uh, There's a old, and this might be, this might be the newer analogy. Uh, There's a classic way of driving a car where you have like a, um, you know, you kind of put it into gear. And I know people drive automatic, but for example. You still got to put it into gear. Yes, but like when you, um, when you, when you come to a stop, like, yeah. like you, the mental model is you push the gas to go forward and you press the yeah. brake to stop. Yeah. And so for example, some electric cars to encourage you to drive more sustainably uh, because they're hybrid, right? So if there's an engine, natural engine braking, and so you don't actually press the brake to stop the car. I mean, you do if you like need to stop, but if you're just like coming to a stop sign, yeah. you lift your foot off and the car will sort of naturally stop itself. Really? I yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they could have done it and all in software where it's just the same way, but they totally broke the mental mo- and they have like the big display and it's just, it doesn't look like a car that you are used to driving. And yeah. it's because it's electric and and some cars, some electric cars do not do this, but there are some electric cars um, that just like the way like the way it feels to drive is very different. Right. In some capacity, because the whole point is that, like, it's not like it's not like the gas means go, because that's not how it is. It yeah. means like if you the if you press down, it's like forward. And, yeah, and yeah, if, yeah. And if you and if you take everything off, it's like slow stop. And then there's like 
the hard break. Yeah, so I think that they're might, just different. Yeah, it's the, just different. The screens and I don't. So rather than just rather than just have it look and act exactly like a gasoline car, and as you said, do everything underneath underneath, right? Mm-hmm. So let have people drive it as though it were uh, a, a regular gasoline car. Um, they are choosing to start to let, you know, to, to have the conceptual model be different. Yeah, um, because you want, you you actually, uh, what you, to maximize efficiency, you do not want people pressing the brake that would engage them. the brake pad. You, you want the car to... Yeah. The, the motors of the car to actually turn the other way to charge the battery up so you get better mileage and only use the brake pad sort of, I don't want to say in emergencies, but when you really need to slow the car down. And th- and this is an example of a hard mental model to break, right? Because maybe. depends on uh, your target audience. Depends on your target audience. And, new car and owners, maybe not. New car owners who've not driven gasoline cars, then they, they'll be fine with it. People who are used to gasoline cars might not be fine with it. It's an interesting. Uh, there's always, there's always that you know generational challenges. So, for example, for for people you know who are, yeah, you know, the the new generation of people getting smartphones that have not had anything else except smartphones. Uh, this is not a transition, right? Here's the phone. Yeah, you do this, you use it this way. But when the iPhone first came out, n- nobody had ever used it. And our the mental model for it, for phones, the mental model for mobile phones was very different. Mobile phones, um, they had buttons. They were kind of like a weird small version of a, uh, of a telephone handset. Um, and they were used primarily to make phone calls (laughs) and maybe a little bit of texting. They were not computers in your hand, which is what the iPhone was. So the iPhone could have looked like all the existing mobile phones and just had extra, you know, stuff built in, but that's not the decision they made. They made the decision to totally break the uh, could totally change the conceptual model design so that it was not connected to the previous mental model. So when you confronted a smartphone for the first time, you could not use your mental model of a cell phone. It just wouldn't work. You looked at it and it was blank and it was kind of a phone, but kind of not, and kind of a computer, but not kind of not, because computers were big things on your desk at that time. And so you had to just start all over from scratch. So sometimes you you want to build a conceptual design and interface that purposely does not match an existing mental model. But you have to really ask, if you're the designer, you have to ask, is that what we want to do? Are we doing that on purpose? Because we need to encourage behavior that is brand new. And we want people to look at this thing and say, oh my gosh, this doesn't match anything. This isn't like anything 
I've ever used before. Because I have to say, most of the time, that's not what you wanted. Most of the time, for most of the products I see our clients designing, that is not the goal. If it is the goal, that's great. And then, then you're designing from scratch. But, and, and it's, you still shouldn't just design for the guts underneath. But most of the time, you, you don't want to start from scratch. Most of the time, you want to understand what the current mental model is and figure out how to work within that most of the time. So, um, all right, next question for you, Guthrie. This one's going to be tougher. So if we're talking about the fact that the conceptual model presents a model to the user, the conceptual design presents a model to the user through the interface, what are the parts of the interface that present the model? Oh man. Now 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 you're now you're gonna Now make I'm me starting fail. in now I'm what? Uh, now you're gonna make me fail. Uh the menu. The menu? You yes, mean, the information architecture. The information architecture. That's what I mean right. by menu. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. What so the information architecture. How things are organized, wrong. if there are menus, what they look like, how they act like, right? Yes. So how information is organized on this device is a really important part of the conceptual model. Okay. Hey, see, you got one. You got any others? Besides the information architecture. <laughs> He's really thinking. Uh, do, do I have any others? And what, what, are, what are other parts of, we're talking about an interface. We're talking interface. about use, using in the interface. The, the interface. Do you know what the interface is? Um, only kind of, I mean, conceptually, maybe what's an interface. I don't know. It's sort of like, it's sort of like, what's a, what's communication. It's like, I don't, it could be so many things. Communication. (laughs) You know, I don't, right. Lisa. Um, what, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some hints. Buttons. Thank you. It's very good. What are, Yeah. So what about things the you can interact with? What about them? What you compress them? So, so how? So another thing that is part of the conceptual model is how do you take action? Are there buttons? What are the buttons? Where are the buttons? Who are the buttons? No, but close. What do the buttons say? That's information right. architecture. Well, no, oh, not necessarily. No, no. it's no, not, it depends right? Depends on the right, button, I right, suppose. Right, right. Suppose if the button is self-destruct, that's that's <laughs> different. Yeah, so so we have the information architecture, how things are organized. We have uh, and what things are called. That's such an important part, like just w- what the words on the menu say. Uh, what the words that at the top of the screen or page say, what's the label of that page? 
what are the but what are the buttons? What how do I take action? What what do the words say that for taking action? Yep. Any what other part that is part of the interface that presents a conceptual model? Oh my god, you're making me get more of these. Uh, objects and views. Oh, you just know. You're just throwing that out there because you know that's part of the conceptual model. But you don't even know what that means. Do you know what that means? Oh, I know. Um, so uh, for those of you who may not know, we have a series of on, like uh, online certificate, a whole online certificate program. And I remember, um, you know, Susan did a lot of recording for it and, and I was uh, coming up with all sorts of, uh, there's the slides and the uh, images and the, the diagrams and, the put, courses, and putting yeah. it together in um, Premiere and stuff. And you remember this. So, yeah. So I, I remember at one point I did know all this because I was like deep in the woods, you know, 40, 45 Wait a minute. So you forgot it? Object, of you forgot it? Hey, I forgot everything I learned in law school too. So let's not, <laughs> you know, I don't But have this is more important than anything you learned in law school. Um, no, I could probably muddle my way through of, of what the, the difference with the object and the view is. Um, but, but you're right. And this is, and I, I and I have good news and bad news for you, Guthrie. Uh -huh. So in, in our next episode. <laughs> We're doing objects and views. Yeah. I, if I recall, the, it is the objects, uh, are the objects. <laughs> and the views oh that was no, really no, useful and, and the and the views are the way the objects like are presented okay but to is say that, is that kind of close it is except yeah I don't yeah know I, how, I don't know how useful it is to say the objects <laughs> are the objects because <laughs> that's uh, yeah, what you, you just really, literally you're not supposed said. to use the word in the definition of the no, word i know that's like really. um the objects are the objects i mean the objects are like things like i mean there's not this is fun i i'm really God, enjoying this i hate conceptual models <laughs> <laughs> no it's you great do? it's just Why so it's so conceptual like what's an object you know it's so hard uh it 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 is it is hard you know um in a way it's fine it's fine but it well, is look it's some people may just be better at sort of understanding things and breaking breaking things down. I think part of it's just a terminology thing. Um, this happens in behavioral science sometimes, where people just, you know, like 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 uh, heuristics. Like that's a word yeah, that like yeah, means like, nothing. Like there's these words that don't mean anything, and why? Yeah, do you it's like this. Words? It's kind of like a shortcut thing, but like what is it? You know. Um, it's true, and I don't. I you know, and I've been working with this this stuff for a long let's just say a long time i've yet to come up against a term that i think describes it better than object unfortunately well and, and the thing about object right are we talking about a car are we talking about an app are we talking about a toaster i mean there are because because this is not you know it's uh, not exclusive to digital right no, so it has to be it has to be a word that covers things that a user would run into both with a toaster and with a dating app. And those are like two right, very two different, really different things. things, you know, right. conceptually. Um, yes. You know, one's a physical thing and one's a digital thing. And they don't yes. line up in the same capacity. So it's uh, that that's, I think, where things get particularly challenging because it's not just like I could like you could understand, um, you know, like 
a button. A button is something that translates pretty well. I can think in my mind, yeah, there are digital buttons and physical buttons, but they are essentially buttons, you know. But to to have an object about every single interface that exists in all formats, it's it's you know, it could be so many things, you know. What I'll put it. How how would I how about I flip the question around? You know, what's not an object? You know, that's 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 like the real that's the real question. Well, I think what's not an object. I I mean I I'm going to go back, unfortunately, to like you know, English, or just grammar. So yeah. a noun, a thing is an object. That's why I said an object is an object because otherwise I would have said an object is a it thing is a and that's thing, not, that's no that better. That would be good too. So and I agree with you. I think that's why this starts to get, you know, conceptually difficult uh, or abstract. An object is literally anything that's a noun. Yes. Anyth- yes. So a verb is not an object. So, Push, running is not running, an object. pushing, touching. Uh, verbs. Uh, verbs are not objects. Also, adjectives are not objects. Little, big, difficult, complicated. Those are not objects. Those are adjectives. I like to sort of think, uh, yeah. Now it's like, can you punch it? That's gen- that's that's the rule. Yeah, I mean, an object is is whatever it is you are going to do something with. Yeah. So you are going to do something with an object. You're going to look at it. You're going to visit it. Visit it. You're buy gonna, it. Uh, throw it away. It, twist it. You're going to uh, change it. You're going to, you know, that those right. And and um, so. Do you know, Guthrie, the history of this goes back to... Um, oh, God, it's... Yeah, it's. It goes... No, it's really interesting. I know. This whole what, idea of... Wait, wait, hold on. Do you want to do this now or save that for the next podcast? I want to save that for the yeah, next podcast. Because now we're just but doing objects and views. For the next episode, because you're going to have to remind me, though, because I think it has a fascinating fascinating and extremely simple aha moment that describes the entire tortured history that came afterwards about objects and about why they're important in conceptual model design and why they're therefore important in designing anything. Now, here's what I'll say. Is what? people who don't care about objects and views and don't care about conceptual models. Yeah. Like they work with objects too. It's not like people who are not thinking about conceptual models when designing things are not using objects. And I think that's part of the problem because it's like you are using functionally all the same building blocks that I would be doing. You yes. know, and but and, and so it's just, well, it's just the place and way that I put them. Right. It's whether you are designing based on that versus designing based on something else. And, and, you know, our 
you know, what I'm saying is if this, you... Okay, I think I figured out that this is the root of why conceptual models are so complicated. What? Because it is the art of arranging things in certain ways, arranging objects in certain ways um, that are better than other ways of arranging objects. And if what you are trying to do is get humans to interact with them. Right. Well, if you're using if you if you're using conceptual models, that's that's sort of the point. Why you're doing it. That's yeah. why you're doing it. So so that's that I, I think I finally understand why it's so hard to train this because the actual skill of doing quote conceptual models is um is it's so it's very much like like sand art in some capacity like we're all working with sand but it's it is the art of putting these things in a particular order and pattern in a way that sort of magically makes sense in some way that's different than the way that someone else would you know make patterns and order the objects you know in this in this metaphor that you'd kind of draw in the sand so we're both drawing in sand but my drawing in sand is you know good for the user and therefore better but because we're just drawing in sand if you're not familiar of uh, if you don't if you don't maybe the power of it or blah 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 you it's hard to it is hard to explain the benefits of it because we're just we're making different sand circles than other people are making, and our sand circles are better. And, yeah. And that's and that that's so so it's so it's it's a hundred percent, um, completely abstract because yeah. you're essentially working with the same yep. building blocks, which are nouns. Yep. So. There you okay, go. well, we'll do objects and views next time. Your favorite topic. Oh my god, this stuff's so hard. Why can't we can't we can't why can't we just talk about like vision, easy things? You think vision is easy? Okay. Well, it's we well, it's easy to teach. I wouldn't. It's more complicated in reality. Well, but at least we started down this rabbit people hole. People like faces, and we're gonna have to. They go. look at faces. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Why did I pick this topic? No, I mean because it's important, right? But it, but it it's is. Important. It's it's uh, not easy, but important. It, you, and it's twice as hard to justify to someone who doesn't understand UX why it's important. Like why? Yes, we're currently making patterns in sand. I think you should make these patterns in sand. Right. And it's like I, it's like you can't obviously see it. Whereas right. if I say, hey. I would like to upgrade the HVAC. You yeah. know, you were spending $10 and now you're spending $5 because your HVAC's better, you know, it's colder yeah. or whatever. Like you like it's just it's so you it's it's so much more tangible. Yep. You can feel it and and touch it. Yep. Um unless it's it's you know, conceptual models, I don't think I realized how artistic it was. Yeah. You know the art. The art. You you should really call it the art of conceptual models. Okay, I'll do that. I think that's great. I think that would set let's the right talk. mental model of let's, what it is. Let's and, do that. I love and it. Like, and like okay. that. It's that. It's not like that's it's not this, like learning algebra. That's what the series is oh, called. Math is the art of conceptual models. Okay. All right. 
Okay. All right. Anything Thank else you, you want to add to this? No, this, this is good. This is our introduction. This was our start, and we'll delve into more Okay. next time. Good luck with your encyclopedias. Oh, yeah. I've got to go buy a set. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.